So many people are familiar with John 3.16. And, and really uh, put in such simple words and yet the most profound truth that we proclaim and why we come and worship our God. For God so loved the world. Now, interestingly enough, and as you probably know, John 3.16 is not just well-known within the church, but also within the culture at large, uh, even, even pop culture. Uh, you, you can find John 3.16, just the verse reference on t-shirts, uh, coffee mugs, things like that. Did you know that John 3.16 has its own Wikipedia page? It does. You know how I know that? I do most of my sermon prep at Wikipedia. So there it was. No, seriously, I do not, uh, but I was curious, so I looked it up, and yeah, it's got its own uh, Wikipedia page. Now, what I realize, at least culturally, is probably where we most often see this scripture reference on a poster is at sporting events, and as I've thought about it before, what strikes me, and I'm thinking about the various sporting events, it seems like more times than not, it's at NFL football games, Sunday afternoon. You know, not as much uh, college football on Saturday, uh, not as much regardless of, of level of other sport, whether it's uh, hockey, basketball, soccer, baseball, but it seems like more often than not, it's NFL football games. And so my theory uh, behind that, what I've, what I've come to, to believe is that the reason is this, if you are a church-going person and you have tickets to the big game and they're good seats, oh, they're in the end zone. The only way that you're going to be able to make it to the game in time for kickoff is to miss church that morning. And you know that sitting in the end zone, there are going to be moments where that camera pans right across the end zone, and you realize you're smart enough to know that folks from church are going to go home after they've all been together worshiping. They're going to go home, watch the game, and go, I knew he wasn't there. That's where he was. And so he just smiles, holds up John 3.16. I might not have been at church, but I was evangelizing on national television. So that really is, uh, is, is my theory uh, behind it. So again, uh, probably the most famous verse, one that we are familiar with. But are we familiar enough? Do we take it in context? Do we really understand John 3.16. Well, today we're going to take a look at it in its larger context. Uh, We'll be in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. And so before I read this part of God's Word, uh, let's go to Him in prayer. Well, once again, Lord, uh, as we come before You, we do thank You for Your Word. Uh, Your Word, which brings light and breathes life into our hearts. And we ask now that you would open our ears to hear, the eyes of our hearts to see, that we would believe all the more, that we might be changed by your grace to us in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So now I invite you to hear the word of God, John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, whoever lives by the truth, comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And this is God's word. Well, you may have noticed two significant themes here, two central themes in this passage, condemnation and compassion. Okay, John 3.16, definitely a verse about God's compassionate love. In fact, many commentators uh, refer to this one verse as the greatest summary of the gospel, the gospel in a nutshell. But it's only rightly understood in its larger context, which clearly deals with condemnation. And so that's how we're going to look at our passage today, through uh, the lens of those two themes, uh, condemnation and compassion. And so we're going to start with condemnation, and we're going to start with verse 18. John writes, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, this theme is actually already reflected in the first verse of our passage, the famous verse, verse 16. Because if you think about it, if those who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, then the converse is true, that those who don't believe in him shall perish and have eternal misery. Now, you and I know that this is not popular in our culture. Uh, not popular at all. We're, you know, words like wrath, hell, condemnation, sin, not popular. People do not want to hear it because, I mean, think about what, what folks say today. This is about finding your own truth, right? Live, find your truth, and you live by your truth. I will live by my truth. So definitely not popular uh, teaching in the, in the culture at large. But sadly enough, even though right here in the Bible, God's word, not popular teaching in some churches as well. In fact, I, I remember uh, several years ago uh, watching an interview on 60 Minutes uh, with, with, with a TV preacher. He's got a huge following. Uh, he's written some New York Times bestsellers. And the, the 60 Minutes uh, journalist, I, I don't know whether or not he's a believer, didn't present himself uh, one way or the other, but asked some, some great questions, as you would expect. And after they talked about his church and, and the big following uh, that he had, the uh, the interviewer surprised me. He, he said, hey, I'd like to talk about your latest book, another New York Times bestseller. And the TV pastor just smiled and said, yes, what would you like to know? And the journalist said, well, I, I realize that as a, as a past, pastor of a Christian church, you use the Bible. And the Bible talks a lot about sin and wrath and condemnation and hell, and yet your book doesn't say anything 
about that. What, why is that? And without missing a beat, that, that TV pastor smiled and said, Oh, friend, friend, there is so much negativity in the world, and, and I want to bring people a positive message. Well, friends, the gospel writer John has a positive message for us. God, through the apostle, has a positive message. But here's the thing. The good news can only be properly understood in light of the bad news. Otherwise, it's not really good news. And John not only speaks of condemnation here in in our verses, uh, speaks of it uh, throughout his gospel, but also just at the very end of our chapter, the end of chapter 3, verse 36, he says this. John writes, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Or another translation, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. God's wrath against sin. Sin. Uh, Living our own way, uh, living by your own truth, so to speak, Uh, being your own authority, turning from God, and and ultimately rejecting the Son as He's revealed to us in God's Word. Wrath, God's settled opposition to evil. So whenever we read in the Bible, whenever the Bible talks about God's wrath, it is talking about God's settled opposition to evil. Now, maybe some of you are sitting there and saying, whoa, 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 really? I mean, a God of anger and wrath? What, you know, what, what happened to the God of love? That, that's who we've just been proclaiming and singing about. You know, we're, we're New Testament people, right? The, the, we're New Testament, the New Testament God of love. We, we've moved past beyond this, this Old Testament God of wrath. But you see, the problem is this. The, the problem is that too often we think that anger and love are opposed to each other. But they aren't. In fact, it's actually in God's wrath that we more clearly see the fury of his love, or rather, his furious love. So I I came across this illustration. Uh, Some of you will know the name Becky Pippert. Uh, Becky Pippert, a phenomenal evangelist, has been for decades, uh, and has written some great books as well. And one of the books uh, that she wrote is entitled Hope has its reasons. And in there, she talks about God's anger. And there's a a specific section where she discusses uh, this and says that we struggle. We struggle with the idea of an angry God because we we struggle to think that that a God of love could also be a God of wrath and condemn. And, And we're just not sure how to put that together, how to hold that tension together. And she writes, well, think about yourself. Think of how we feel When we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships, how do we feel? Do we merely respond with benign tolerance, indifference? And then she talks about two of her friends, two dear friends that she has watched for many years fall deeper and deeper into destruction through substance abuse. And she says, 
When I am with them, I feel fury. Fury because I love them. Everything in me wants to shake them and say, can't you see? Don't you know what you're doing to yourself? You become less and less of yourself every time I see you. And then she says this, real love, real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. You see, anger and love are inseparably bound even in our own human experience. And if I, a flawed and sinful person, can feel this much pain and anger over someone else's condition, then how much more? A morally perfect God who made them. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hate is indifference. And so again, anger and love are not opposed to each other. God is angry precisely because he loves his creation. He loves the people that he has created, and he's angry because there is a cancer killing his creation. And that cancer is sin, and it is evil. And because God, because God loves, he is determined to eradicate that cancer. Again, it's in God's wrath that we more clearly see the fury of his love. His determined compassion. So that leads to our next point. So we've talked a good bit about condemnation. Uh, Let's now uh, shift gears and talk about compassion. God's compassion. And we begin verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, one of the things that I appreciate about Brian Simpers is that he often reminds us that we need to define our terms. So, Brian, thank you. And I believe that there are clearly some words here that we need to address. In fact, I got an email when someone saw that, what, that I was preaching on this passage and said, please talk about the word world. What does that mean? So that's where we're going to start. For God so loved the world that the world might be saved through him. And so at first glance, first read, it can be easy to be confused, at least a bit by the language that, uh, that's being used here. I mean, if, if God gave his son for the world, does that imply that every single person on earth will be saved? I mean, is this speaking about universalism? No, not at all. You see, John is is not talking about the world as a whole in its totality, but rather he's talking about the world in all of its diversity. And so think about it. World, the word world here, think about how John later puts it in the book of Revelation. World refers to persons from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. In fact, this is in part what we talked about last week, 
Uh, Missions Sunday, if you were here, God's global love for all peoples, for all people groups. Our vastly amazing God created all kinds of vastly amazing people. Okay, another term. There's also that little word, so. For God so loved the world. Now, on the one hand, it means how much, uh, the depth and degree of, of God's love. He loves the world so very much, which is true. Uh, on the other hand, it means in this way, uh, that the manner or means of God's love, uh, the specific way that God loves. In other words, it means this. This is how God loved the world. He gave his son. In this way, God loved the world. He gave his son. And so you see, God's love for the world is is not just mere sentiment, but actually led to specific action. He gave his only son. That's how God loved the world. Okay, so then there's that phrase, only son. Uh, He gave his only son. And I realize I have got to address this because some of you are wondering, what happened to the word begotten? His only begotten son. And if you're wondering about that, that probably means that you grew up with the KJV, the King James Version, uh, which is what made uh, that phrase uh, popular, made it familiar with us. However, the underlying Greek word is just one word. And it means one of a kind, unique. And so only is actually a better translation than only begotten. Now, I don't want to sit here and argue English translations because that's not the point. The point is this. The point is that in compassion, God gave his son, his unique, one-of-a-kind son to save us. He gave his one-of-a-kind son To save us. Theologian uh, Bruce Milne says this. If the depth of love is measured by the value of its gift, then God's love could not be greater. For his love gift is his most precious relationship. His one and only eternally beloved son. He could not love more. And he gave him to rescue us. Condemnation is not God's specific purpose. Rather, his purpose is salvation for all who receive the gift of his son. For all who trust in him. Well, friends, there is only one way that that salvation could be accomplished. Only one way. Salvation could only be accomplished on the cross. And so if you truly want to understand John 3.16, if you truly want to understand God's compassionate love, then you must look to the cross of Christ. God can only be rightly understood if you understand the cross. Because at the cross... Both the wrath of God and the love of God meet and are satisfied. 
So another pastor put it this way. If he's really a God of wrath and a God of love, then he says, how can I pour out my wrath against sin? Okay, against the cancer that is growing throughout my creation. How can I pour out my wrath against sin and destroy it, but without destroying those who have the cancer? How? The answer is verse 16. He gave his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Because you see, God gave his son to be a substitute for us. To live the perfect life that we cannot live. To die the excruciating death that we deserve to die. He takes our place. He takes the blame. And why? So that we could know his love. And so at the cross, we see both condemnation and compassion. Again, sin is cancer. It is cancer growing throughout the body of God's creation. And God, God wants to eradicate that sin. God's wrath against sin is the lethal radiation aimed at the cancer. And Jesus is the cover protecting us from that lethal radiation. Okay, it's like the covering that the radiation oncologist places over you, except for that specific part that's supposed to get the radiation. And so if you, by faith, if you come under Jesus' covering, your cancer is dealt with. Your sin is dealt with. But you aren't destroyed in the process. The cross means that if you believe in Jesus, then there is now no condemnation left for you. Why? Because it was all placed on him. At the cross, both the love of God for you and the wrath of God against sin, they meet and they are satisfied. Now, friends, this is the most basic and yet the most profound truth in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. And friends, as we move into a season that is a time of gift, giving and receiving, we need to remember the most wonderful gift, the eternally wonderful gift of God's Son for us. And you know, it's, it's a gift for us, not only to receive once and then move on, but also to rest in every single day of our lives. And even more than that, it's also a gift for us to give away. A gift for us to share with others the gift of life for a hurting and dying world around us. For it's through believing in him that you are forgiven of all sin and reconciled to God for all time. And so believe in Jesus. Keep believing in Jesus. And keep speaking of Jesus too. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, our good and gracious and compassionate God, oh, how we thank you for the gift of your love and the gift of yourself for us. We pray now, we pray that you would help us to trust you, whether trusting you for the first time today or continuing to trust you for a lifetime, day after day after day. Oh Lord, many of us come this day, we believe and yet we struggle to believe and so help our unbelief. For we come in the name of Jesus and it's in his name we pray. Amen.